0: What's up everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Foul Ball Area podcast. I'm your host Matthew Atkins. Missing my co-host Trey Lyle this week. We had some scheduling conflicts and couldn't make it work this week, so I am going solo, but he is here in spirit. Um it has been a while since I've done a solo podcast. I can't even remember how long. It's been years probably. So bear with me here because this is going to be a little different than when Trey is usually here. We're not going to have any banter, no back and forth, no debate just me coming at you with everything that's happened in the baseball world over the past week. Probably going to be a little bit of a shorter episode this week as well. Although we do have a lot of stuff to get into. It has been a very very busy week across all levels of baseball. So we have a lot of stuff to get into today, a lot of stuff to go over uh and I'm going to break it all down for you over the next I don't know, 15 minutes, half an hour. We'll see how long this goes uh without Trey here today. But Uh, Like I said, a lot of stuff happened across all levels of baseball last week. And we're going to start with the Major League Baseball draft, which got kicked off last Sunday night on ESPN. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I did not watch the draft on ESPN, but it was on ESPN, which to me seems like a pretty big deal for the MLB draft to be there. Because, you know, you see the NFL draft, you see the NBA draft on ESPN. The Major League Baseball draft is a little bit different with how long it is you know there's 20 rounds of this draft and it's just insane how many players are picked throughout the entire process so for the draft to be on espn i feel like that is a pretty big deal so that's that's really cool to see uh, baseball get that kind of exposure uh last week with the draft going on being broadcast on espn and last week on the episode of the podcast, we told you about a couple of players that you want to keep an eye on in the draft this year. Uh, among those players was Bryce Eldridge, a high schooler from James Madison High School up in Vienna. We told you about Kyle Teal, the catcher from the University of Virginia, and uh, a couple of Virginia Tech players. Jack Hurley was a player to watch. He did end up getting drafted. Uh, Jake Getloff from the University of Virginia as well. So we told you about a couple of players throughout the state of Virginia to keep an eye on and then of course there was Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz from LSU who we said could go you know they could go one two they could go two one, you know they could have gone in any order either of those two guys could have been the number one pick and that's pretty much exactly what happened Paul Skeens was the number one pick overall in the MLB draft by the Pittsburgh Pirates he was uh, he was the first player taking the pitcher from LSU Dylan Cruz the outfielder from LSU was the number two player taken in the draft by the Washington Nationals. So right away, that two LSU players, the two stars, are the two players off the board with the first, the top two picks. And then at pick number three, the Detroit Tigers come in. They take Max Clark from Franklin Community High School in Indiana. Kind of a wild card there. I don't think anybody really saw that coming because the the consensus top three picks pretty much were Skeens, Cruz, and Wyatt Langford, the outfielder from Florida who ended up going to the Texas Rangers at pick number four. So the the players that we thought were going to be the top three picks, they ended up being three of the top four. Wyatt Langford goes at number four. So those were three players that we told you to keep an eye on last week. Also, Rhett Lauder, a pitcher from Wake Forest, who had a very, very good year for the Demon Deacons last year. He ended up getting picked at number seven by the Cincinnati Reds. So congratulations to all of them on getting chosen in last week's MLB draft. And then getting back to these Virginia guys that we told you to keep an eye on last week, a total of 20 players from the state of Virginia, either high schoolers or playing college in the state of Virginia, were drafted last weekend in the draft. So that is really awesome to see. Uh, When you break it down by college, you get five Virginia Tech players, five Hokies were drafted in the MLB draft over the uh, over the last weekend and that's really really cool to see uh you know especially coming from trey and i are virginia tech alums we are huge fans we love seeing what's going on with baseball in blacksburg we love seeing how well that team has done obviously we talked about it all all spring and into the summer this year a kind of disappointing season by the Hokies uh this year on the diamond but last year when they you know just had a fantastic season won the acc in the regular season Made it all the way up to number three in the rankings at one point, won a regional, hosted a regional and a super regional. That was just really awesome to see. And it was a really talented team. Of course, some players were drafted last year, and then some players that were left over, they ended up getting drafted this year. So a total of five Virginia Tech players drafted in the MLB draft this year. That was just really cool to see. Four players going off the board from UVA, two from William & Mary. And then a couple from some various other colleges throughout the commonwealth randolph macon a division three college just up the road from me in uh, ashland virginia they had a player get drafted in the 17th round by the tampa bay rays hayden snelsire so uh congratulations to all of them on getting drafted this year but the uh the big guys that we want to highlight here kyle teal the catcher from virginia he was the number 14 overall pick in the first round by the Boston Red Sox, he is a really, really good catcher. Had a fantastic year. Uh, he was he was ranked as the number seven prospect going into the draft. He got picked at pick number fourteen, but generally considered the best catcher in the class of 2023. Left-handed hitting catcher, uh, he can hit for average and power. He is just a very talented player, and he got drafted by the Red Sox at pick number fourteen. So congratulations to him. And then you go two picks later at pick number sixteen, Bryce Eldridge, who we told you about. Last week, and I think we've talked about him a couple other times. Two way player from James Madison High School in Virginia, the Warhawks up there. Uh, my mom actually grew up in Vienna and went to James Madison High School, so a little bit of a personal connection there. And we've talked to his coach before, Pudge Joyman. When uh, back when we did Baseball Across the Commonwealth, we did an episode on Vienna, and we talked to the brewery there was Caboose Brewing, and we talked to Pudge Joyman, who is the head coach at James Madison High School. We talked to him about the baseball culture. In Vienna, and now we have Bryce Eldridge, who is drafted at number 16 overall in the first round by the San Francisco Giants. I tell you, you got to look up this guy. You just Google Bryce Eldridge, you see so many articles about him, hyping him up, saying how great of a player he's going to be. They're calling him the American Shohei Otani. Uh, I mean, he—you he, can't say enough good things about this player. He, uh, according to MLB.com, he's got three pitches with a fastball that can reach up to 96 miles an hour a low 80 slider, and a solid changeup. He's a great hitter as well. So he can hit and he can pitch. He really is like the show, the American Shohei Otani. Plus, he's 6'7", 223 pounds. You remember a couple of years ago, I mean, I, I guess it was six or seven years ago now, when Aaron Judge broke into the league and everyone was just making such a big deal about how big he was at 6'8", what is he, 6'8", 280? But So you got Bryce Eldridge, who's 6'7", 223. I mean, this is a big guy, and he's a, a very talented pitcher and a great hitter who can hit for power. I mean, he's going to be a really, really good player, and he gets drafted at number 16 in the first round by the San Francisco Giants. I'm excited by that pick because, although I'm not a Giants fan, living in Richmond, the Richmond Flying Squirrels are the Double A team for the Giants. So I got to imagine he's going to move through their – farm system fairly quickly i don't expect he'll be in double a this year but who knows maybe next year maybe two years from now so i am excited for that pick i hope that i'll get a chance to see him here in richmond when he does work his way up to the double a level so bryce eldridge from james madison high school the two-way player the american shohei otani getting picked at number 16 by the giants then at pick number 29 you got johnny farmello from westfield high school also up there in northern virginia an outfielder uh high schooler, outfielder. He gets picked at pick number 29 by the Mariners. Then you go right into round two, pick 57, the Mariners. Again, they pick Ben Williamson, a third baseman from William & Mary. So two players from Virginia going to the Mariners. And then a couple of picks later, two picks later at number 59 overall, still in the second round, you got Drew Hackenberg, a pitcher from Virginia Tech who has been very good for the Hokies throughout his career. He gets picked by the Braves. I obviously, huge Braves fan, huge Virginia Tech fan. I like it. The only odd thing is he was the number 200 overall prospect in this class, and the Braves picked him at pick number 59 overall. A lot of people are kind of questioning this, kind of wondering what's what's happening here. I like it. I think, you know, being a Hokies fan, I've seen what he can do. I know what he can do on the mound, and I like this pick i know a lot of braves fans who aren't as familiar with him are a little confused but i think it has the potential to be a really good pick and plus if we've seen if we've learned anything over the past four or five years with the braves you do not doubt alex Anthopoulos. he is the best general manager in the game he knows what he's doing he knows how to put together a winning team he knows how to put together a winning organization you don't doubt him so this pick drew hackenberg at pick number 59 by the braves I like it. He's been very good for Virginia Tech over the years, had some really good years in Blacksburg, struggled a little bit this past year, but 2022, he was, I mean, he was lights out on the mound for the Hokies. So I like that pick at number 59 by the Braves. And then rounding out the second round for players from Virginia is that third baseman from UVA, Jake Galoff, who got picked by the Dodgers, pick number 60 overall. I'm sorry, I may actually be mispronouncing that name, but. You know, he gets picked by the Dodgers in the second round. And then we got a bunch of other pitchers or a bunch of other players, pitchers, outfielders getting picked throughout uh, throughout the draft from Virginia, including Jack Hurley from Virginia Tech got picked at pick number 80 by the Diamondbacks. So a really good draft overall by players from Virginia. I'm really excited to see what they can do once they get going into the minor leagues, once they, you know, once they start their professional careers, I'm really excited to see what these guys can do so that's what happened in the draft over the weekend and then of course we had the all-star game all-star game home run derby out in seattle t-mobile park the whole city was buzzing with activity all weekend long starting with the all-star futures game was on saturday night you got the home run derby on monday night the all-star game on tuesday it was just a long weekend of baseball in seattle it looks like it was a lot of fun to be there the home run derby was a really fun time for me i really enjoyed watching it um obviously i wasn't there but watching on tv i really enjoyed this year's home run derby i was really excited for it had a lot of great players in it adley rutschman luis robert randy rosarena adolis garcia a lot of fun and exciting players in the home run derby this year and adley rutschman i didn't expect him to to do as well as he did but i think he hit 27 home runs in his first round and not only that but he he goes up there he's left-handed hitter he goes up and hits 20 home runs in the first three minutes then he gets a little break before his 30 seconds of bonus time comes back switches over to the right hand side of the plate and hits seven more home runs i have never seen anyone switch hit in the home run derby but that was super exciting to watch when he did that when he came back out for that final 30 seconds and he was on the opposite side of the plate i was like what's going on this is amazing and then to crush seven more home runs that was the bet that was honestly the best thing that i saw in the home run derby all night and that was the first round but then of course he ended up getting knocked out i think he was going up against Luis robert who ended up beating him in the first round so disappointing ending for adley Rutschman, but that was the most electric thing that we saw all night, I think, in the Home Run Derby. Of course, he had the the uh, hometown guy, Julio Rodriguez, of the Mariners, participating in the Home Run Derby this year. And he actually won his first round matchup. He hit 41 home runs in the first round of the Home Run Derby. Set a new record for most home runs in one round. So that was really, really awesome to see Julio Rodriguez have a... a really stellar performance in the first round there uh he ended up getting knocked out later in the derby and the final matchup was vladimir guerrero jr versus randy rosarena and it was another electric matchup uh vladimir Guerrero jr went first and then randy rosarena came up and he came i think just one home run shy of tying vladimir guerrero jr in the final round he came just one home run shy so it was a really, really close matchup in the championship. But Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ended up winning uh, his first home run derby championship, and he and his dad become the first father-son duo to each win a home run derby. So that's a really cool piece of trivia there. That was really cool to see. Um, Got to mention though that right after the home run derby was over, they give Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Well, Ken Griffey Jr. comes out to give Vladimir Guerrero Jr. the trophy. They give him the, you know, they do this big chain with the, a big medal on it. And they've done that for a couple of years now. The winner gets that. They give him a jacket too, like it's Augusta, like he just won the Masters. But they give him all the trophy and all the hardware and everything. And ESPN puts up a graphic that says he's the second Cuban-born player to win the Home Run Derby after Yanis Cespedes. That is completely false because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is Dominican. And he was also born in canada while his dad was playing for the montreal expos so that is just completely false Uh, i think espn was probably expecting randy rosarena to win who is from cuba and they had that graphic ready to go in case he won and then someone just forgot to change the nationality in the graphic uh really poor execution on espn's part of course they've been in the news recently for all the layoffs that they've had. It's mostly been on air people, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're laying off a bunch of production and behind the scenes people as well. And that's impacting the quality of the broadcast. So poor job by ESPN there claiming that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was Cuban when he is actually of Dominican descent and born in Canada. Uh, But overall, it was a really entertaining home run derby. shouldn't let that mistake overshadow the night. A really fun night like I said, Adley Rushman switch hitting in the first round, even though it was the first round, even though he ended up losing that round, that was the most electric thing that I saw all night. And then Tuesday night, of course, we get the home run or the uh, the all-star game, the main event of the weekend in T-Mobile Park. I got to say on a personal note, it was cool seeing all these events going at T-Mobile Park. My wife and I are going out to Seattle later this year. We're going to a game there, so I'm really excited to to get out there and see it in person, but watching it on TV kind of get me really excited for that trip, really excited for being there later this year. Um, but the all-star game on Tuesday night, the National League versus the American League, we had Zach Gallen on the mound versus Garrett Cole. You know, it's the all-star game. The no one plays for that long because you got so many players that you have to get in the game. So a really exciting matchup between Zach Gallen and Garrett Cole. But I think Garrett Cole only pitched one inning. It was a perfect inning. But he only pitched one inning. Uh, it was a really exciting start to the game. Ronald Acuna Jr. led off the game for the National League. First, first at bat, he hits one to right field, and Indoles Garcia makes an amazing catch at the wall. And then two batters later, a hit to left field, and Randy Rosarina makes an amazing catch at the wall. So, uh, a great start to the game with some defensive highlights from the American League outfielders. Uh, it, uh, it was just a, it was a fun game um, all, all game long. And then late in the game, Elias Diaz of the Colorado Rockies, I think he's 32 years old, making his first all-star game appearance, crushes a go-ahead home run for the National League to put them up three to two. And the National League had not won an all-star game since 2012. It had been a long time since the National League had won an all-star game. So Elias Diaz puts them up 3-2 to late in the game with a home run. I mean, first All-Star Game appearance at 32 years old, and he hits a go-ahead home run late in the game. That's got to be a really awesome feeling. Bottom of the ninth, in Seattle, runner on base, Julio Rodriguez comes up to the plate with two outs. You got the hometown guy, Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners, playing the All-Star Game in the Mariners ballpark. Runner on base, two outs, and they're down by one. Obviously, as a Braves fan, I was rooting for the National League to win. But if Julio Rodriguez had hit a home run there, that would have been the best possible scenario. You got the hometown player, the young star, last year's Rookie of the Year, with a chance to either tie or win the game. If he had hit a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth, that would have been the best possible scenario. He got walked. So he did, you know, he he did something productive for his team. He got on base. He kept the inning alive. But Craig Kimbrell was able to close out the game and get the save for the National League. And the National League ended up winning the game 3-2, to two, their first win over the American League since 2012. So it was a really entertaining game overall, a fun time. The All-Star game is always a fun time. Uh, I really enjoyed watching it this year. I was really, really into it. Uh, just sat down and watched the the home run derby all monday night the all-star game all tuesday night it was just a a fun weekend of stuff going on in seattle and a a fun break from you know the seriousness of uh the the regular season games and it's just it's cool to see the players get out there and having fun with each other you know playing with guys they're usually playing against playing on the same team as guys that are usually their biggest rivals And they're all just out there having fun because it doesn't really matter it's just it's just an exhibition game it's just for fun it's just to show off the best the baseball has to offer so it was a fun fun couple of days overall with the all-star break but with the all-star break up that means we get back to the regular season today friday we get back to regular season games and that also means that we got the trade deadline coming up the trade deadline is coming up soon and there are a lot of storylines floating around Major League Baseball. The biggest one is Shohei Otani. And does he get traded from the Angels this year? He is by far and away the best player in Major League Baseball. If he keeps up his trajectory, he will be the best player of all time because no one else has ever done anything that he's doing right now. We've always compared him to Babe Ruth, but he, he's surpassed those comparisons. I'm not saying he's better than Babe Ruth, but the things that he's doing with pitching and hitting, he has surpassed anything that Babe Ruth did in terms of playing the game from both sides. So he is the best player in baseball right now. He, he's always doing something incredibly historic and significant but the angels are just not where they need to be. You know, they're still in the thick of the wild card race. They're still there. It's still possible for them to make the postseason. but with all the bad news they got earlier this month, Anthony Rendon is injured. Mike Trout is injured out for four to six weeks. Otani has his blister on his finger. So he's not pitching right now. He's still hitting, but he's not pitching. You got the Angels who were seven games back in their division, five games back in the wild card. If they don't start winning right away, once play picks up after the the All-Star break, once play picks up this weekend, if they don't start winning right away, the Angels seriously have to consider trading Shohei Otani, as crazy as it is, because why would you trade a player this good? But we got to think about it from their perspective you know if they if they don't think they're going to be able to re-sign him in the offseason because they have mike trout on a 400 million dollar deal are they going to be able to sign otani to a 500 million dollar deal and if they do that leaves no money to put a team around them and clearly the two of them currently on a team together are not good enough to win They need to put together a complete team more than just Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, as crazy as it sounds. So if if they don't start winning right away, and they don't see a path to re-signing him in the offseason, they can't just let a player of his caliber walk away and get nothing in return. Because if they trade him at this deadline to a contender, to a team that just needs you know, uh, just needs a little bit of a push to get over the hump and get into, you know, being a real contender, being a real postseason team. They could get an absolute haul back in a trade. I mean, think about how much Shohei Otani is worth to a team. They could get so many prospects, so many players back in a trade that you absolutely have. Have to consider it. You absolutely have to think about trading Shohei Otani at the deadline because you can't let him leave in free agency and get nothing in return. You can't. That is that is just mismanagement of a baseball team. Buster Olney today on ESPN said that the Yankees are the most likely team to get Shohei Otani at the deadline this year. Trey actually texted me that when that happened. It was on Get Up this morning. Uh, Buster Olney said that the yankees are the most likely team to get showyotani i told trey don't get his hopes up um but obviously that would be a huge move for the yankees if they were able to get him i think i'm gonna i'm gonna say he gets traded at the deadline because the the angels as much as i want them to succeed they're just not you know they're five games back in the wild card they're not going to win the division they're only seven games back so it's possible still three theoretically But Texas and Houston are just too good. The the Angels are not going to win the division. They're five games back in the wild card. So that is still very possible. But I just don't see it happening, especially with Rendon Trout and Otani's blister injury. With those three injuries, I don't see a postseason run happening for the Angels this year. So I'm going to say that they trade Otani. That's the biggest storyline. At the deadline this year, there is I'm sure going to be a lot of talk throughout the league about all kinds of players. As we get into the deadline, it is August 1st is the trade deadline, so that'll be the date to watch. Uh, you know, you got teams that you know you're considering. Are they really contenders? Are they going to be buying at the deadline? Teams that have surprised us this year, like the Marlins and the Reds, who are in postseason contention right now. Uh, are they for real? Are they going to be looking for that piece to get them over the hump to make them a, a more complete postseason team? Uh, you got teams like the Diamondbacks who have been a very good team. Do they need, you know, a missing piece somewhere? Uh, the the Padres, you know, what are the Padres going to do? They have been a really disappointing team this year. Are they going to make a last season, last last minute push, try to pick up a couple players at the deadline and make a push for the playoffs? Or are they going to sell and try to rebuild? I don't know. It's going to be a really interesting deadline, but the biggest story absolutely is Shohei Otani and where does he end up after August 1st. That's all I've got for you on today's episode of the Foul Ball Area Podcast. Let us know what you think is going to happen at the deadline. Let us know what was your favorite part of the All-Star Weekend, the Home Run Derby, the All-Star Game, the MLB Draft. Let us know what your favorite part of last weekend was. Uh, Like I said, let us know what you think is going to happen to Otani. And make sure to tune in back here at FoulBallArea.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Hopefully, Trey will be back with us next week for the next episode of the Foul Ball Area Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Foul Ball Area Podcast. Make sure to leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they come out.